0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Well,
1: let me invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Esther this morning. If you're, you're new, we are walking through Esther taken six weeks to to do that. This is our fourth week in Esther. And so today, we're going to look at chapters five and six of Esther and talk about what happens when God displays his power. Esther five and six. So, (laughs) wow. These two chapters are filled with suspense and satire (laughs) and humor uh, and bends and turns that uh, come out of of nowhere and just filled all of it with an incredible display of the the power of god and so if you're new today and new to esther uh 22nd version, there's this guy named Haman who has, uh, has gotten the king to sign off on the annihilation of the Jewish people in Persia. And so, is God gonna rescue his people? Is he gonna preserve his people? He has placed an, an orphan Jewish girl named Esther uh, and her, the the man who has adopted her as his own Mordecai, uh, how is God going to use them as instruments to to rescue His people? Um, and how can He use us for such a time as this? That's what we're that's what we're talking about in Esther. So let's look at chapters five and six. These are wild, wonderful chapters. Follow along in your copy of God's Word. I'm reading from the the CSB, the Christian Standard uh, Bible. On the third day, Esther dressed in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she gained favor with him. The king extended the gold scepter in his hand toward Esther and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. What is it, Queen Esther? The king asked her. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom, will be given to you. If it pleases the king, Esther replied, may the king and Haman come today to the banquet I have prepared for them. The king said, hurry and get Haman so we can do as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. While drinking the wine, the king asked Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you want, even to half the kingdom, will be done. Esther answered, This is my petition and my request. If I have found favor in the eyes of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and perform my request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet. I will prepare for them. Tomorrow I will do what the king has asked. That day Haman left full of joy and in good spirits. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence, Haman was filled with rage toward Mordecai. Yet Haman controlled himself and went home. He sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh to join him. Then Haman described for them his glorious wealth and his many sons. He told them all how the king had honored him and promoted him and rank over the other officials in the royal staff. What's more, Haman added, Queen Esther invited no one but me to join the king at the banquet she had prepared. I am invited again tomorrow to join her with the king still. None of this satisfies me since I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate all the time. His wife Zeresh and all his friends told him, have them build a gallows 75 feet tall. Ask the king in the morning to hang Mordecai on it. Then go to the banquet with the king and enjoy yourself. The advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows constructed. That night, sleep escaped the king. So he ordered the book recording daily events to be brought and read to the king. They found the written report of how Mordecai had informed on Bigthana and Teresh two of the king's eunuchs who had guarded the entrance when they planned to assassinate King Ahasuerus. The king inquired, what honor and special recognition have been given to Mordecai for this act? The king's personal attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. The king asked, who is in the court? Now Haman was just entering the outer court of the palace to ask the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows he had prepared for him. The king's attendants answered him, Haman is there standing in the court. Have him enter, the king ordered. Haman entered and the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king wants to honor? Haman thought to himself, Who is it the king would want to honor more than me? Haman told the king, for the man the king wants to honor, have them bring a royal garment that the king himself has worn and a horse the king has himself ridden, which has a royal crown on its head. Put the garment and the horse under the charge of of one of the king's most noble officials. Have them clothe the man the king wants to honor. Parade him on the horse through the city square and call out before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor to honor. The king told Haman, hurry and do just as you proposed. Take a garment and a horse for Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not leave out anything you have suggested. So Haman took the garment and the horse. He clothed Mordecai and paraded him through the city square, calling out before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried off for home mournful and with his head covered. Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, since Mordecai is Jewish and you have begun to fall before him, you won't overcome him because your downfall is certain. While they were still speaking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and rushed Haman to the banquet, Esther had Prepared. Father, we thank you uh, that you are at work, working your way through your providence, through arranging circumstances, through putting the right people in the right places at the right times. And we thank you that you can use us as your vessels in this world if you will allow us to do that. And so show us the principles of your word and how we can live for you in such a time as this show us today the miraculous ways in which you display your awesome power we pray it in jesus name amen so chapter four of esther ends with a cliffhanger and we we are we are left there just uh, hanging what is going to happen when esther goes before the king because the law was that if you approach the king uninvited, that that was an automatic death sentence. But, but Esther has determined. She wants God to use her. She's trusting her very life into the hands of God. And she says, if I perish, I perish. But I'm going. I'm going before the king uninvited. And so we're left wondering what's going to happen. You know, excavations of the Persian court have, have shown artwork. And, and in that artwork, it shows the king sitting there with his golden scepter, which was the, he would extend to people if they were accepted and welcomed. But standing right beside the king in this artwork is a soldier with an axe. In his hand, that's prepared for people who, were, who were, would not be accepted. And so, what is going to happen to Esther? Chapter 4 leaves us hanging. And now we see the answer. And we see some principles for our lives. And the first one is this. God has the power to turn hearts. God has the power to turn hearts. What, what has been happening In the three days prior to Esther coming before the king. We see it at the end of chapter four and verse 16. Esther says there, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law, if I perish I perish so what we see here is that Esther has gotten the whole Jewish community to be praying for her to be praying for this moment that God would turn the heart of the king so what happens verse 1 of chapter 5 on the third day Esther dressed in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance. Now, by beginning verse one with these four words, on the third day, the writer here is highlighting what has been happening for three days. Namely, that the people have been praying. Praying. And so what he's saying here is that what is about to happen is going to be an answer to prayer. Verse 2. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she gained favor with him. From the first moment, as soon as he sees her, she gains favor with him. God has been doing his work. Proverbs 21 and verse one says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God has the power to turn hearts, which is why we should not only pray for people in authority and government positions and things like that, but we should pray for our lost friends. We should pray for our our family members who, who don't yet know Christ. And listen, they may seem so hard and so far from God, but I want to tell you something, God has the power to turn hearts. Every salvation is a miracle of God. Our own salvation was a miracle of God. And so just because you see people in your lives who seem like they're so far from God and their hearts seem to be so hard, don't write them off. You pray for them. And you pray for God to turn their hearts. Pray for them by name. Pray for them faithfully. And share the gospel with them. And pray for God to do in their hearts what only he can do. God has the power to turn hearts second principle here we are accepted before the throne we are accepted before the throne look at the latter part of verse two here it says the king extended the gold scepter in his hand toward esther and she approached and touched the tip of the scepter so the extending of the scepter was the sign of acceptance Listen, if you are in Christ, you are accepted before a much higher throne. You are accepted before the king of kings because of the work of Christ. Old Testament scholar Ian Duguid writes, our entry to the heavenly court is free, but it was not cheaply bought. As sinners... A death is required before we can enter the presence of the All-Holy One. God can hold out the golden scepter of favor to us only because the fierce rod of his judgment has fallen upon Christ. Our peace with God is paid for in Christ's blood. And because of what Christ has done for us, we are now accepted before the throne of God, as beloved sons and daughters of the King. And our Father delights in answering our prayers. Jesus says in, in Matthew 7, 7 and following, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if the son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Our Father delights to answer the prayers of his children. He, He wants us to come. And to present our needs before him, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Our Father wants us to come, and he wants us to come boldly. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need now listen what are you doing with this precious privilege you have been given an entry card before the throne into the very throne room of God you've been given an entry card that is signed with the blood of Christ you were accepted before the throne 24 7 because of the work of Christ on your behalf your father wants you to come. What are you doing with that precious privilege? Why are you prayerless? Why are you living your life like a practical atheist as if everything depends upon you? We're called to live lives of, of prayer. And, and not only does God invite us to ask But he can do so much more than what we ask or imagine. Look at verse three. The king looks at Esther and he says, what is it, Queen Esther? The king asked her, whatever you want, even half the kingdom will be given to you. I mean, these people have been praying just that the king would spare her life and spare the lives of her people. (laughs) And the king looks at her and he just gives her a blank check. Like, whatever you want it'll be done for you. Ephesians 3.20 says that God's able to do far more abundantly than all we can ever ask or imagine. There's a third principle that we see here, and that is laugh at the devil. (laughs) Now, you've heard me talk about this book, The Screwtape Letters, before by C.S. Lewis, and it's a book about spiritual warfare, and it's letters from a senior demon named Screwtape to a junior demon named Wormwood. But uh, the book is filled with C.S. Lewis uh, kind of uh, mocking the enemy. And before, at the beginning of the book, C.S. Lewis, uh, before he begins, quotes from Martin Luther, who we talked about earlier, who said the best way to drive out the devil is to jeer him, for he cannot bear scorn. (laughs) We're we're coming to a part of Esther here uh, that is filled with jeering (laughs) of the enemy. Um, And it's mocking and it's jeering Haman but we know here that Haman is really just a tool of the principalities and powers of darkness. And so, really, it's the ultimate enemy, Satan, who is being um, uh, mocked here and uh, h- held up for ridicule. By the way, uh, we talked about, when we were in chapter 3, we talked about uh, the, the dice, the lots, that were that Haman cast, and in, in Hebrew it's a uh, it's Pur and, and in uh, plural it's Purim. So Purim is uh, it's it's probably the fun it's called the funnest Jewish holiday. It usually falls in March. Uh, the first time that I ever went to Israel with Lindsay, who I see sitting out here today, uh, was in March, and I was sitting beside an Israeli woman on the plane. And she, she was telling me about uh, Purim because it had just happened in Israel. And she told me, well, it's actually a lot like your American Halloween because uh, kids dress up in costume and they wear Haman masks and people give out uh, candy and, 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 and that kind of thing. Um, it's a, it's, it's a, a holiday with a lot of uh, fun and laughter. And in certain synagogues, the book of Esther is read and all 54 times that Haman's name is read, people will jeer <laughs> and stomp their feet. Um, Purim is a, is a hoot and it's filled with a lot of humor. And that's the case with this, this section that we're, we're coming up on as we just see God Doing his thing <laughs> as only he can do it. God is just showing off here. So, what's going to happen? Um, after, um, after the king in verse three essentially just tells Esther, he says, Hey, whatever you want, it'll be done. What do we expect? We expect her to just come pouring out with, Hey, you, I want you to spare my people, right? We but she throws us a curve. In verses four and, and, and five, she says, if it pleases the king, Esther replied, may the king and Haman come today to the banquet I have prepared for them. The king said, hurry and get Haman so we can do as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. Um, you see, at this point, There are lots of people from the court that are around. She's not alone with the king. So she's using discretion. She doesn't kind of put it all out there on the table at once, her request. She's kind of drawing this out. We'll talk more next week about some more reasons for why. Um, But the key thing here is the word prepared. We see it in verse 4. We see it again in verse 5. The banquet I have prepared prepared. The banquet Esther had prepared. What does that tell us? It means that when she went in before the king, she was confident that God was going to answer prayer. She had already prepared the banquet, right? She's confident that God is, was going to answer prayer. Jesus says in Mark 11, 22-24, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Jesus is telling us there to pray with confident boldness That's the way that Esther entered that room. She already had the banquet prepared as if God was going to answer prayers. Verse six, while drinking the wine, the king asked Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you want, even to have the kingdom, it will be done. For the second time, he just kind of gives her this blank check. But once again, Esther kind of draws it out. Verses seven and eight, Esther answered, this is my petition and my request. If I have found favor in the eyes of the king and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and perform my request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet I will prepare for them. Tomorrow I will do what the king has asked. So come to another banquet tomorrow, the king and Haman. Now Haman leaves on top of the world because the thing that he craves more than anything else is recognition. And so Esther has invited him back. Only he and the king are in- invited to come. And so he just leaves, just, just, just feeling on top of the world. Verse 9 says, That day Haman left full of joy and good spirits. Well, they've been drinking spirits, but what Haman is really intoxicated with is himself. What does he, what does he do here? Uh, verses 10 through 12. It says that he sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh to join him. Then Haman described for them his glorious wealth and his many sons. Bear in mind, he's talking to his wife here and his friends. They've heard the speech before, but he can't help himself. He describes from his glorious wealth and his many sons. He told them all how the king had honored him and promoted him and rank over the other officials and the royal staff. What's more, Haman added, Queen Esther invited no one but me to join the king at the banquet she had prepared. I am invited again tomorrow to join her with the king. But there is one killjoy, one fly in the ointment for Haman that steals his joy. As he was leaving, he had to pass by Mordecai at the gate, who once again refused to bow before him. Again, look at verse 9. When Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence, Haman was filled with rage toward Mordecai. Now, the author here just brilliantly brings out Mordecai's complete indifference to Haman. Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence. He just blows him off. Mordecai's, despite all of Haman's murderous threats, Mordecai's not worried about Haman because he knows God's not worried about Haman. God's got ways of of dealing with, with, with Haman, and Mordecai is a man who fears God, not people. Proverbs 29 and verse 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And that applies to us. It applies to us in such a time as this. And the culture that we're living in, just to say things publicly that the Bible clearly teaches about sexuality and lots of other issues can get you canceled or persecuted. In the culture that we're living in, we're going to have plenty of opportunities to find out whether we fear God or fear people. And God tells us to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Just... Live the truth, speak the truth, and trust God to take care of you. He's perfectly capable of doing that. And he's going to take care of Mordecai and Esther and the Jewish people. And in fact, he's already doing incredible things. So that night, after Haman tells his wife and his friends about Mordecai's steadfast refusal to bow before him they have a suggestion have a gallows 75 feet high constructed have it made overnight and in the morning go before the king and ask the king to hang mordecai on the massive gallows and haman loves that suggestion And so he summons workers and they get to work all night long. They're hammering and nailing and building this massive gallows designed for Mordecai to be hung on. Well, they weren't the only ones who weren't sleeping that night. (laughs) King Ahasuerus can't sleep. He can't sleep a wink. He's tossing and turning Now, you know, there were all kinds of things that King Ahasuerus could have done that would have been some of his favorite pursuits that would have been completely in character for him. You know, he could have had his servants to come and uh, we saw in early chapters his love for booze. He could have ordered booze and passed out drunk. Uh, He could have ordered them to bring him Lots of gourmet food and eating himself into a food coma and falling asleep. We saw horrifyingly earlier in Esther that he can simply demand, and any woman can be brought to him. Well, any or all of those things would have been completely in character for King Ahasuerus, but he wants something else. On this sleepless night, and we see what it is in chapter six and verse one. "That night sleep escaped the king. So he ordered the book, recording daily events to be brought and read." Mmm. Remember chapter two and verses 21 through 23? What happened there? During those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bithon and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the entrance, became infuriated and planned to assassinate King Ahasuerus. When Mordecai learned of the plot, he reported it to Queen Esther, and she told the king on Mordecai's behalf. When the report was investigated and verified, both men were hanged on the gallows. This event was recorded in the historical record. (laughs) Mordecai had saved the king's life. And it was all right there in the book. The same book that the king once read to him. And so they bring the book and they turn to the exact page where it's recorded. That Mordecai had saved his life. Verses two and three. They, they found written, the written report of how Mordecai had informed on Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the entrance when they planned to assassinate King Ahasuerus. The king inquired, what honor and special recognition had been given to Mordecai for this act? Now, it's not so much that King Ahasuerus wanted to do the right thing by Mordecai and just honor him out of pure gratitude. No. If you're a guy like King Ahasuerus, there are lots of people who want to kill you, <laughs> including many of the people who work under you in the court to not honor People who save your life is bad for business. Bad for your health. And so when, when the king hears about this, his, 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 question, his question here is what honor and special recognition have been given to Mordecai for this act? And it says in verse three, the king's personal attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. Well, at this point, you can see the king bolting upright in bed and saying, we have to fix this at once. He's barking out orders and trying to figure out ways to to honor Mordecai. And at that exact moment, he's made aware there's someone waiting out in the lobby. (laughs) That would be... Haman, who at the very moment that the king is thinking of how we can honor Mordecai, Haman is entering to ask Ahasuerus to hang Mordecai. Verses 5 and following, the king's attendants answered him, Haman is there! Stayed in the court. Have him enter, the king ordered. Haman entered, and the king asked him, What should be done for the man the king wants to honor? Haman thought to himself, Who is it the king would want to honor more than me? Haman told the king, For the man the king wants to honor, have them bring a royal garment that the king himself has worn, and a horse the king himself has ridden, which has a royal crown on its head. Put the garment and the horse under the charge of one of the king's most noble officials. Have them clothe the man the king wants to honor. Parade him on the horse through the city square and call out before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor, the king told Haman. Hurry and do just as you proposed. Take a garment and a horse for Mordecai the Jew." who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not leave out anything you suggested. Oh, what I would give to see the look on Haman's face. Well, somehow he manages to get it together enough to move his body... and to go out to the king's gate and put this royal garment on Mordecai and prop him up on the horse. And then he leads him through the city square, the city plaza, calling out, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. And then he covers his head in shame, and he goes home. And if he expected any sympathy there... He was barking up the wrong tree because he goes home and he tells his wife and his close friends and they essentially tell him, you are doomed. You are toast. You're done. Verse 13. Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends, everything that had happened, his advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, since Mordecai is Jewish and you have begun to fall before him, you won't overcome him. Because your downfall is certain. Now, a couple of things here in verse 13. First of all, the phrase Since Mordecai is Jewish, so something is beginning to dawn on these people. You know, if the, if, if, if the Jews God can somehow miraculously lead them out of slavery in Egypt. And if he can somehow preserve them through invasion and now exile, clearly the God of the Jews is protecting them, blessing them. Even they have begun to see that. And then there's the phrase in verse 13, um, you, have, you have begun to fall before him. Do you see the irony here? This whole thing started because Mordecai refused to fall before Haman. And now, in the providence of God, it is Haman that is falling before Mordecai, or really Mordecai's God. The fourth thing that we see, and we're seeing it every week, is that the story points to the Savior. The story points to the Savior. A couple of things here. First of all, Christ became a curse for us. Christ became a curse for us. Haman in the story has brought himself under a curse. In the promises of Genesis 12, 3, that God makes to Abraham about the Jewish people. He says, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And Haman has brought himself under the curse of God for seeking to annihilate the Jewish people. Yet we too are in a way under a curse. How so? Galatians 3.10 Says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Anybody here done everything in the book of the law? Anybody? We haven't come close. Thank God for a savior. Galatians 3.13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Christ saw the curse that was hanging over our heads and he said put it on me. Christ became a curse for us. Second, Christ is the man the king delights to honor. Christ is the man the king delights to honor ultimately. Again, let's look at verse 13 here of chapter 6. You see this phrase here. They, They tell Haman, since Mordecai is Jewish, you won't overcome him. Literally, this says here, since Mordecai is of the seed of the Jews. In other words, God is blessing and protecting the Jewish people because from their seed is going to come the seed. From this people is going to come the Savior of all peoples. Galatians 3 16. It says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say into seeds as though referring to many, but referring to one. And to your seed who is Christ. Again, uh, Old Testament scholar Ian Duguid says, the promise to Abraham of land and blessing was not just a general promise to take care of his descendants his seeds, plural, but a promise of ultimately bringing through Abraham the seed, singular, Jesus Christ. And he is the one who ultimately the king delights to honor. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the
0: glory of God the Father. Let's bow for prayer.
1: The Bible says that one day every knee will bow before Christ whether they want to or not. Why not bow before this king of love now? This is the king who loved you and gave himself for you, who became a curse for you, who took your sins upon himself that you might be forgiven, who rose from the dead, that you might have eternal life. And that is offered as a free gift. It's not something you can earn. But how do you receive that free gift? Repent and believe. Turn to Jesus and trust in him. Rest in his finished work on your behalf, his death for your sins, his resurrection from the dead. Receive him, welcome him into your life, a savior and Lord and king. And one day you will bow before him in joy. Christ invites you to turn to him now. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Rest. As believers, are we honoring this king with our lives, every aspect of our lives? Is there something in your life today that needs to be surrendered, something that needs to be repented of? We want to give him the honor that is due to to him. And so, Father, we pray that you would have your way in our lives, Lord. Uh, for anyone who needs to turn to Christ, the Savior and Lord, Father, may this be a day of salvation, of new life. Father, for believers, work in our lives right now that our lives will be broken to your purposes. And to Christ, we pray.
0: I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said,